You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you might want to say it. Tomato, tomato. Ontario, unterrible. However, you just want to describe any of those kind of words, you just feel free to go ahead and do that. And the ushers are coming forward here, as well as in the live stream theater. Thank you for those that are in the live stream theater today and, and allowing more room here. We are so thankful for this avenue that we can use through technology and your willingness to serve in this way and, and uh, be in there and worship the Lord and be under the word. But if you need a Bible this morning, we want everyone to have a copy of God's word in your hand so you can look at it with your eyes. And, um, and, and so we're looking at the book of Habakkuk. And yes, go ahead, look in the table of contents. It is a tiny book. It's the fifth last book in the Old Testament. If you go Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. If you get to Zephaniah, you've gone a little bit too far. And so move your way back a little bit. And so uh, this is an amazing book. And we are going to dig into that, Lord willing, starting today and into the weeks ahead. Well, 2020 has begun with quite a start, hasn't it, in so many different ways. Similar in, in you know, not, not much has changed except more things, it seems, have, have happened over the last, um, even just the last 11 days, and no doubt even today, there will be more history-making and incredible things taking place. Our world, we are living in a world where it seems we're facing such incredible confusion and strife and instability and chaos, and it seems like there is no end in sight. And whether that is in the unprecedented um, way that we've seen the fires in Australia, uh, Puerto Rico, the earthquakes, the weird and crazy weather phenomenons that are taking place in our world, hearing that we're going to be hitting some, some record and uh, lows that have not been seen in some time. And, and, and we're seeing all of this, and you say, well, that's global warming, it's climate change. No, it's not. It's God's it's God's global warning for us to wake up and to realize that everything that has been happening, that is going on, that will happen, is all according to His word. It's the birth pains of His return, and we must be ready. What else is there? Wars and rumors of war, and that's been intensified this past week. Iran, Iraq, USA, all the political rhetoric, the targeted killing of Iranian leader early this year, the missile strikes, the Ukrainian airplane that got shot down, killing 160. 76, including 57 Canadians. 57 Canadians. I can't help but wonder why 57 Canadians were on a flight from Tehran to uh, Kiev on a Ukrainian air flight. Uh, airplane and, and, and would do that sort of thing. And, and it's just kind of hitting me. I believe, I believe solemnly, this is God's, just his megaphone to Canada. Wake up, Canada. Wake up, and we need to wake up and to see what God's Word has to say. Wake up, Canada. Wake up, Christians, out of our lethargy, over our laziness, our complacency. And, and I believe this is the warning. We've had the warning of the prophets in the Old Testament, and they were ignored for the most part. We have the warning. We have the truths of God's Word, of what He says will happen, and we're ignoring it, and it's time to wake up. And I believe this is a message for us as Canadians to wake up, to repent, to get on our knees, to pray. 
And you know that as all of this is happening in the Middle East, we know that China and Russia and North Korea, and, and, and I just can't help but when I start thinking of so much of this, I hear of a, a, of a movie some of you might be familiar with, with just kind of this sound that, that just describes. It describes what is going on. China and Russia and the North Korea, they're just watching this as well as all the other nations of the world. Are we seeing Ezekiel 38 and 39 that speak about some very specific end-time events? Are these the birth pains? Because one thing about birth pains is that once they've started, they are going to go on to completion. And that completion is the return of Christ, Christ's appearing. That could happen at any time. And you might say, oh, Meldon, quit. You know, I've got my charts. I've got my graphs. I know, you know, it's not going to happen yet. How do you know? You don't. None of us know if we have this afternoon promise that Christ could return, that Christ could rapture his church. Oh, that would be a blessed hope, and yet it also is a terrifying hope for some. And we need to pay attention. The birth pains added to all of this world, global stuff that is going on where you don't even know what is truth anymore. In Canada, we are seeing a complete erosion of biblical values and teaching. We are seeing people's ears get tickled in churches, made to feel good and, 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 and just to kind of you know, maneuver through the difficulties in life and not deal with the desperation of what our days are actually facing. We are seeing an erosion of values. We are seeing Isaiah 59, verse 14, where, where Isaiah wrote, he said, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. Does that not describe our nation? For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. We are seeing Romans chapter 1 where it says we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's what we're seeing today in our world. And not only are we seeing incredible sexual immorality on such warped and extreme levels, it's not only being tolerated, it is being justified, it is being celebrated, it is being promoted and shoved down our throats. Netflix recently has come out with a, a gay Jesus who brings home a friend to meet Mary and Joseph. Kelowna Library having a drag queen story time, and as soon as it gets some airtime, boom, overcrowded, all kinds of people coming, and, and, and to hear this, jam-packed with people coming out for this attraction. There's mounting pressure in the workplaces, in the schools, in the churches even to conform, and if not, to face some sort of legal action, and it's coming, folks, it's coming, this kind of... Uh, drumbeat is, is being sounded that it's coming that that so much is happening and I don't want to be an alarmist I'm just being a realist take for example in 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 a public school in Kamloops Kamloops that's not far from here it's right around the corner it's just just what two hours depends how fast you drive a Christian teacher is supposed to read this to her students. Take a look at this. It says here on the left, some kids don't feel exactly like a boy or a girl. They feel like neither. Some kids feel that their gender identity isn't always the same. It's often changing. Or this is Ruthie's brother, Xavier. Xavier is a cisgender boy. That means that Xavier was born, everyone thought he was a boy, and he grew up older. It turned out everyone was right. He is a boy. Like, really? And then look at this. This is Ruthie's friend, Alex. Alex is both a boy and a girl. 
Those books are in our public school system. They're in our libraries. This was from a Christian teacher in the Kamloops School Division that, was, uh, that a nephew and, and niece of mine are, are friends with. She went on and she wrote this. She said, On one occasion I was reading a story in a class about a girl and I kept saying she. And one boy called me out. She or he, he said. It doesn't really matter. They're all the same thing. And he was five years old. Yeah, it's time to wake up, isn't it? It's happening. It's real. It's taking place. So much of this is unbelievable, and it may seem, well, it's out there. It, 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 but it's, it's all around us as well. And how we need to be praying for our children. And parents leading and guiding our children in the truth. Grandparents, there's onus, responsibility on you. Praying and leading and guiding your children biblically. So that they wake up with, they they grow up, they mature with a biblical worldview, with a biblical truth guiding their lives. Because whether it's in education or media, the programs we watch, the movies, there's all preaching a different message. We're living in troubled days and some of you here, even apart from all of this kind of chaos, you're walking through your own personal chaos Some of you here in this room, some of you in the live stream room, some of you that are listening to this online later on this week, you're walking through some difficult trials. Some of you here, 2019 ended and 2020 has started and there is heartache and there's confusion and there's messes in relationship. There's perhaps a health crisis or something going on with your career and your finances. There's loved ones who are far from God. Or it seems like finally, it finally seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel, the battle, the journey, the struggle. Oh, it's coming to an end. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And then you find out it's a train coming towards you at full speed. At times we are left in our heart of hearts asking the question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, are you really good? And so today we start a timely message series from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a minor prophet with a major, major message that is so relevant for today. This book was written like 2,700 years ago, and yet it is still so relevant You see, all Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is extremely relevant to today. We can take and see how it applies and how it informs, and it gives us foundation for our lives, but it speaks to us today because it is the timeless, eternal Word of God. And so there's a message in this great book for us 2,700 years after it was written, after God inspired Habakkuk to write this. Now, one of the things I'm going to do through this message, just so you know, just because I want to be all things to all people, there's times I'm going to say Habakkuk, and other times I'm going to say Habakkuk, okay? Just to mess with you, or just to make you happy, either one or the other, and it's basically because I can't keep them straight, so whatever comes out of my mouth, I'm just happy with what comes out, so, so, so just so you know. Now, it's important that as we dig into this book, we get a bit of a background of this book. We want to give you some of the information, and you see, what happened here for the Israelites, God's chosen people after the golden age of King David and Solomon, there was this slow and steady decline over the generations. 
And some of that decline actually happened fairly quickly in, in light of, uh, of, of timelines. And the nation of Israel, they started to disobey. They functionally disobeyed God's, God's laws and commandments. They started to downplay the holiness of God and, 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 and the law and the word of God and, and kind of came up with their own versions and their own faith. And they started to adopt the, uh, the idols and the immorality of the people around them. They moved away from God and his word. And, and so oftentimes, they continued to still go through the spiritual motions. They would still show up at the temple. They would still pray. They would do these different things. But they would honor God with their lips, but their hearts would be far from God. Isaiah would write about this, and he was a contemporary, uh, they believe, or a little bit earlier he wrote than Habakkuk. And now, from, from time to time, what would happen in Israel's history, there would be a good king. There would be a good king that, that, would, that, that would pay attention e- either to the prophets um, or, or, or God would work in, in the king's life and, and would call the people to repent and to return rather than to face the judgment of God. But for the most part, the message of the prophets was ignored The people just plug their ears and blah, 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 I can't hear you. I'm just going to go and live however I want, not according to the word of God, not according to your warnings, not according to the preacher. I'm going to to do what is right in my own eyes. And as a result of this over time and God warning, by the time we get to Habakkuk, we see that half the country of Israel, the northern kingdom, had already been taken into exile by the Assyrians. This has already happened because of their disobedience and, 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 and their lack of listening to the warnings. And now the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, Judea, Judah, were, were heading towards the same dune. And so Habakkuk kind of is in this timeline between the two exiles, be, between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom falling into the hands of another country, another superpower. And so we see this going on and this... I don't think we'll do that anymore. I think we're done on that. Good. Anyways, and the southern kingdoms were building, uh, were doing their own thing, and, and the Babylonians were building up an army, and new superpower was starting to gain their momentum, and they had an incredible strength, and, and, and yet the people weren't concerned. They just kind of kept on doing their own thing. And so if you look in your Bibles at Habakkuk chapter 1 in verse 1, we see the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That's the way the book starts. I hope you see that in in the Word of God. And and it's so important to be looking at the Word of God, underlining things in in God's Word that stick out or or, or of importance as as we discuss it here through this series. And encourage you to be writing down some of the notes of what we're going to be talking about here too so you can go home and study and be informed and continue in your study in this amazing book. Now it says there in chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle, some translations like King James Version, if you have have that version, it will say the burden, the burden that Habakkuk saw. And, and so this oracle or burden is a vision and a revelation. God allowed his servant to get a glimpse, to get a view, an understanding, an insight into what was coming for the nation. And it was scary and it was not good. And so this was this burden, this is this vision. What Habakkuk saw coming on the horizon was terrifying. 
And, 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 and when Habakkuk saw this and God gave him this vision, this oracle, this burden, it, it caused him to be shaken and confused and leaving him questioning. And we'll see that just in the verses that follow. He starts questioning, God, why? What are you doing? You are mighty. You're powerful. How can you stand by idly and you're going to allow the Babylonians to come and take us captive? How in this world? The Babylonians, we're going to find out next week, Lord Willie, they were terrible. They were awful. You st- stacked them up against ISIS today. What they did in their day was absolutely horrific. And, 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 and poor Habakkuk gets a vision, a burden, an oracle of this, and he's overwhelmed. Now, for your information, the, the, the word, the name Habakkuk means one who wrestles. But there's actually two meanings to his word that, that we find one who wrestles, but also it also means one who embraces. And he is a man who wrestles with God. But as he wrestles, he also embraces God. He doesn't run from God, he runs towards God. And yes, you're going to see it gets raw, it gets real. He's going to get very honest before God, but and he's, as he's wrestling with God, he's also going to embrace God. Oh, would we be Habakkuk's today, that as we wrestle through the questions of life, the confusion, the chaos that we're facing, would we be a people that would also embrace God? He was also a contemporary of Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Nahum, other minor prophets. And again, minor prophets don't have a minor message. They're just shorter books. And so that's why we often call them minor prophets. There was possibly some overlap with Ezekiel and Daniel in their ministries as well. And a key verse that we see in the book of Habakkuk is in chapter 2, verse 4, and it's quoted three times in the New Testament. And, and chapter two in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And we're going to see that as a very key thing when we get to chapter 2. And as we're going to see how it shows up in biblically significant books in the New Testament. We we see it in, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Romans, as well as in the book of Galatians. Mighty theological books of the New Testament. I like what one commentator that I was reading and doing some research on Habakkuk. He said, Habakkuk was... A man who had a question mark for a brain. You ever have, have anyone like that who just kind of, they're always asking questions? Well, that was Habakkuk. He had a, 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 a question mark for a brain. Or, or, or he was also, he's also been referred to as the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. Habakkuk is a book about having faith, having a faith and a confidence and a trust in God even when the way is dark. It is a book that starts out with gloom, but ends with glory. And that's where we want to be in in the weeks ahead. That's where we want to get to. See, we can go from gloom to glory. As Habakkuk does, we can do that in our own lives. It is a book that starts out with sobs, but ends with a song. And yet, here's the thing. By the time we get to chapter 3, nothing has changed on on, on the externals. The country is still headed towards disaster. None of the circumstances in his life or the people, the world, none of it has changed. But by chapter 3, he's rejoicing. And he's in a good place. And God wants you in a good place no matter what the circumstances are. 
He wants you to know his power, his strength, his joy, his victory, even when life stinks, even when life is hard, even when it's confusing. So this is an amazing book for you because I know many of you are there. And so oftentimes in the course of a week, we can get there, can't we? And God wants us to have a rejoicing, joyful confidence in Him. But the way that we get there, it's going to get kind of ugly over the next number of weeks. As we have, I think, our our heads, they're going to hurt as we dig into God's sovereignty. As we dig into how can there be evil and how can evil look like and win over the righteous. So let's look at the first four verses. That's all we're going to get to today in kind of an introduction to this amazing book. First four verses, and I encourage you to be reading the book of Habakkuk. Read it at least once a week over the next number of weeks as we're working through this. In fact, read it, even encourage it multiple times throughout the course of the week or every day. Get to know this book. Get to love this book. Get to worship our great God through the teaching of this amazing part of God's word. So look at verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. God, why is there so much sin going on in this world? Why is there so much iniquity? Why is there so much destruction? Why is there so much violence, strife, and contention? Just as I was reading this, I just kind of had the image of, you know, you're out in the playground and, 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 and two two. School-age guys are, actually, they probably can't do this anymore on the playground, and, and, and that, well, they probably couldn't years ago, but they did, but, you know, but, but let's say they're just punching each other out, and there is a big, strong teacher or, or, or you know, playground supervisor just watching, and just watching the weaker, the younger, the innocent who didn't even do anything wrong, it would seem, getting pummeled. And that teacher does nothing. You say, he's crazy. Like, why is he not doing something? And that's the way Habakkuk was. He sees what is going on with God's people. And and the ultimate violence hasn't even started yet. He's just seeing what's going on in everyday life. And he's like, why are you just standing idly by? Well, this is going on. Oh, God, what are you doing? Where are you? There's no justice. And even when there is justice... It's perverted. Wicked surrounds the righteous. God, your holy people, the Israelites, look at what's happening to them, and you're doing nothing. And look at the questions he asks God. How long do you not hear? How can you stand idly and allow all of this to happen? Do you not see what's going on? And this wasn't just the cry of Habakkuk. This is also the cry, we know, of a righteous remnant. He wasn't the only one, but there was a group of people, no doubt, around him. There were those who continued to trust, trust and rest and, 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 and follow in the ways of the Lord, even though it was hard. 
And so here is Habakkuk, along with others, this righteous remnant that we're calling and crying out to God, yet they're bewildered and concerned. And yet we will see through the following chapters God's response. Next week we're going to see God's response wasn't very consoling. In fact, it actually caused a lot more questions. It didn't seem that helpful. And then we see in chapter 2, he's at it again. He's like, okay, God, again, what's going on? How could you be good, a good God, a God of love, use the more wicked people like the Babylonians to come and punish a less wicked nation, your people, Judah? You see, folks, when a sinner is saved, when a person commits their life to Jesus Christ, as we were worshiping earlier, when the chains of sin have been broken, and, and, and I just so appreciated that analogy as we were worshiping because I even got the, just as, as we were singing that, it was like, you, you know, a chain is made up of all kinds of links. And it's every chain has been broken, every link demolished. And when a sinner is saved, we have been set free from the power of sin and the power of death. And it is the most amazing thing we could ever experience. Eternity in heaven promised for God's faithful followers. And yet, you know what? When a sinner is saved, when a person confesses Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, yes, the biggest problem of, that we face have been solved, but however, it creates a whole new set of problems and a whole new set of questions that we didn't face when we were unbelievers. Questions like, why do the good people suffer? Why does evil seem to prosper? And these questions are used by people who hate or do not believe in God to rattle the faith of God's children. And what we will see in this book, we will challenge our faith in God. And you see, so oftentimes we put God in a box. We have the pat little answers, don't we? And we kind of sometimes start to think, well, we kind of got God figured out. And we think we can define God or, you know, just kind of, you know, that, that, that we understand his ways. Habakkuk gets stretched in his understanding of God and so will we. And we need to be okay with this. We need to be okay with our understanding of God getting challenged. You see, if you think that you are able to define and understand and comprehend and explain God in your terms and have a good, pretty good understanding of, it, of him and his ways, perhaps you've made a God in your image. You see, God's ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are, are, are much greater and grander than we could ever imagine. We think we're so smart. We think we've got so much wisdom. And we're just a bunch of morons compared to the infinite all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And so we, at times, are going to get rattled, I believe, through life, but God's word is going to have the answers for us in this eventually. And some of those answers won't come right away. Some of those answers or breakthroughs may never happen here on this earth, but God will still be God and we can worship. And yet it is my hope and prayer that like Habakkuk, that through the question and confusion that we would be led to trust and rest 
and ultimately worship God in a greater, deeper, more heart-gratifying, thankful kind of way. And so what do we do when hope seems hard? What do we do when the doctor says it's cancer? When the divorce is final? When a situation is just right out of your hands? When you've been betrayed? When you've been praying and asking and trusting God for something for such a long time and it's not happening? Maybe it's, God, when will I get married? God, when can I have a child? God, when will my child sleep, for crying out loud? When will the prodigal return? When will the lost loved ones get saved? When will I get a job or the job that I've been hoping and praying and trusting for? When will I start feeling better? When will I start feeling better in my head or in my body? Oh, Lord, how long? When will you answer my prayer? Why does it seem that the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? God, why is it that I'm giving and doing my best for you, and yet what I seem to experience is the worst from others? These are tough questions, but folks, this is life. This is life raw, life that is real, but life that has hope. Not in my words, not in some philosopher, but in the Word of God, in the person of God. So let's learn from this amazing prophet of God. When hope seems hard, here's what we ought to do. When hope seems hard, number one, I encourage you to write this down. We go to God in honest prayer. And that's what this book is all about. A man with honest questions, tough questions, going to God. Not just a quick little God, where are you? And then we move on. But a lamenting, a waiting, a persevering, an okay with it not being okay, honest kind of prayer towards God. As Habakkuk looks at the state of Judah and Jerusalem, the state of worship in the land, the apostasy, the false teachers, the immorality, the idolatry, he's seen all of this. And then he hears and he sees this vision of the Babylonians and and the the rumors and the stories that they're on the horizon, that they're coming, then they're on their way. He's struggling. But he does the right thing. He goes to God with real and raw questions. And you know what? God can handle it. God can handle us being ticked off. God can handle us being confused and upset God can handle us calling out to God, where are you, God? In fact, he invites it. We don't talk about God, we talk right to him. And we're able to do that. He did the right thing, he took it to God. But this book and God's ways aren't just a quick fix, easy answer, easy peasy, every day is a Friday, soft rock, 102.9 kind of life. There will be days and seasons that all we can do and all we must do is cry out to him, and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay and take that to God. But over time, we're going to see that it's okay not to stay that way, that God, as we come to him in honest prayer, that God will do that work in our life.
regardless of circumstances. A heart that truly seeks after God will be found by God. This is really a book of lament, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. But we don't do this well, do we? We're not a lamenting kind of people. Oh, we'll walk around discouraged and depressed and heavy-hearted and how are you? Oh, I'm fine, you know. <laughs> and we just walk, you know, and just, you know, woe is me and, and, and that, you know. That's not biblical lamenting. That's what, what, not what we're talking about. Oh, I'm just in a melancholy mood. We're not good at lamenting. We're not good at weeping. We're not good at going to God in this way, and yet we need to get better at it. My wife works in the funeral industry, and we're quite the couple. I can marry you, and she'll bury you, you know? And, and, and I just thought maybe we'll get business cards made up, you know, and full meal deal, you know? And, um, but it's interesting as I've kind of gotten to know a little bit more of the ins and outs of the funeral industry, it is kind of interesting that fewer and fewer people are having services for loved ones when they die. Oftentimes, it's just simply, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want, I, I want to avoid the grief. I don't want to avoid, I want to avoid the emotion. I don't want people coming and crying all over my shoulder and hearing their grief because I, I got enough grief of my own. And, 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 and so oftentimes people, they've even had people who, whose loved ones have died and said, hey, can you just courier out the ashes to my house? They don't even want to come in. Like, we don't even, like, you know, just stay away from it. We just, just kind of ignore it. Put your head in the sand. We don't like grief. We just want to kind of avoid it. We just want to kind of steam, just, you know, fly over it somehow if we can. Over Christmas, I was talking to my sister who is a labor and delivery nurse in Abbotsford, and she had a particularly tough shift over Christmas when a mother came in and um, had a stillborn baby at full term. And it was, she said those are always difficult, but it was a difficult procedure for the doctors and nurses as they were then delivering this deceased child. And my sister was describing it to me as I asked the question. She just didn't offer it. I did ask. And I said, for crying out loud, why didn't they just put the, put the mother under general anesthetic and just like so that she wouldn't have to deal with that? And she said, you know, Melvin, she said, it's part of the grieving process that they find for mothers to be alert and to be conscious, conscious during that time, even as difficult as it can be, that it will help her in the long run. And see, we're not a grieving kind of people. Oh, we'll maybe go to a friend or a counselor, we'll share with our group, and that's good and that's necessary. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's vital that we go to God and go to Him and lament and cry. And I'm going for long walks, or maybe it's in the dark night of the soul in the middle of the night, or early in the morning, or during the day that we just get alone, and we're just cried out to God, God, where are you? And we write, and you journal, and, and, and lament on that. You say, well, that's not very manly, or that, you know, I'm just not that kind of person. Well, David was one of the most kicking guys that I know in the Word of God. Defeated giants, killed animals, you know, defeated, you know, led mighty armies and, and killing thousands of enemies, you know, and, and he wrote a lot of laments. In fact, there's a lot of scripture that is just filled with laments. In fact, we have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations 
It's all about lamenting. And you can even write down here just some of the lamenting. So many scriptures, but here's some key lamenting verses of, God, where are you? God, what's going on? But as the psalmist, as the writer, continues on, and David is the author of, of, of many of these, and, and throughout the book of, book of Psalms, we see him coming to a place of rest and trust and confidence in God. It's, it's so important. The psalmist can be struggling and weeping and frustrated, and so are we, and take that to God. It's so important that in our hurt and our confusion, we just don't run to social media, we just don't run to our friends, we just don't run to the counselor, that we run to Jesus. We run to our God who knows, who cares, and has a plan. But so oftentimes, just avoid it. We just, you know, try to, like, as I gave those examples earlier, we just try to steamroll over it. And, and so sometimes we just want to unplug, we just want to ignore reality. We Netflix and binge watch. We shop, binge shopping. Um, I heard there's a new thing going on now, the people shopping online under the influence. That, that's becoming a big thing now these days. People start drinking a little bit too much and they start binge shopping and apparently Amazon is uh, one of the grateful recipients of that sort of thing. And so, and, and so we shop, we eat, we drink, you know, we have ourselves a little Christmas. We just want to have Christmas, but then January hits. And we just try to make it go away. We redirect our focus and our attention. But January comes along or, or Thursday comes along and, and, or Monday comes along. It's no longer Friday. And, and we just want to hunker down. We get busy. We just start pursuing career or fitness or family or different commitments. We even serve in the church. All good things, all good things. But they're not the ultimate. We need to be going to God. And I trust that we are going to be pressed into running to God individually and that we would encourage one another in our group this week that as we talk and as we share authentically in that time together at the end where we share about the joys and the struggles of what we're facing and how our brothers and sisters can pray for us that we would also encourage, hey, you need to take that to God. Let's be praying for one another. We would take it to God. We would learn to lament. We say and think at times, well, time heals all things. That's a lie. It doesn't. Time heals nothing. If, if I get shot in the kid or in the liver and the bullet lodges in my liver, I just can't walk around in disbelief and say, oh, time will heal it. Right? No. There needs to be some action taken. We need to get that bullet out of there. And there needs to be some other kind of work that needs to happen in order to get that liver going again. And in the same way, we oftentimes, we just think, well, time will heal. And the sad thing is, some of us have walked through hurts or confusion and chaos in our lives, and, 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 and now it's in kind of the rear view mirror, but you're still seeing it every day. You think it's back there, but it's, it's still there. You're looking at it every day. And God has a way to see that out of the mirror. And to see healing take place. Time heals with God. And lamenting before God is a huge and a vital part of that healing process. And we see this through the book. A quick breakdown. In chapter 1, God hears my frustration. God responds. Chapter 2, I have more frustrations, God. And God responds. Chapter 3, it's all going to pot. But God loves me. He has a plan. 
and I'm going to worship, I'm going to rejoice. And that's a good place to be. And as we go to God in honest prayer, there needs to be times, and there are times that God will show up in a great way and that healing comes. That healing may take weeks, months, years, or maybe it won't fully be here on this earth, but in eternity. But that is where we understand that life on this earth is just a tiny little grain of sand compared to a room full of kernels, little grains of sand. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. May we see and learn and grow and go to God in honest prayer. Here's something else we need to do. When hope seems hard, we remember God's faithfulness in the past. Habakkuk remembers a time before when when things were good, when, when things were so much better. He remembers the good old days. He remembers the days that, that preceded all of this, the days of King Josiah. And some of you would be familiar with him, and you'll read about him. I encourage you to read about this king who became king at the age of eight in 2 Chronicles 34, 35 into 36. He became king at the age of eight. And we read he did was what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he followed in the footsteps of his ancestor David. He had a heart for God, a heart to seek after God. But the nation didn't. They had lost the Bible. They had lost the Word of God, like so many of our churches today. And when King Josiah was in his 20s, he ordered that the temple be cleaned. He wanted to see temple worship restored because that had even gone by the way. And while they were there, they found the Word of God. And upon reading it, he was struck to the heart. He was torn over the way the people were living all of the way that God's Word was not being followed how they had form-fitted their own spirituality that was right for them. But he just didn't, he wasn't just struck to the heart, he did something about it. He ordered that the temple be cleansed. He reinstituted worship, he cleansed the temple. He went out on a limb, in a sense, and he purged Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places. He tore down the altars, he chopped down the Asherah poles, these these monuments that they made. And it was said back in those days, there was inscribed on those Asherah poles, those kind of uh, idols and, and different monuments that they would make, horrific terrible pornographic pictures and he had those Asherah poles taken and ground into dirt, into fine grains and then he threw it on the false prophets on their graves for those who were leading the people in such a way. He took decisive action. And so here is Habakkuk now saying, oh, remember the days? Remember the days? And we see this in in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, of your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of your years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. God, renew, revive, restore your people. You see, there are such promises in God's word. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then what does God say? You will hear from heaven. I will forgive. I will heal their land. That's what we're going to be praying for tonight. Oh God, send revival. Oh God, do a new work in your day. You've done it in the past. 
And it's so important that we take time and we remember God's faithfulness in saving us. We remember God's faithfulness in the lives of family members in our church. God's, God's faithfulness in, in, in family members' lives or stories that you've heard. God's faithfulness in the way he's answered through his word. We see his faithfulness. And over the centuries, we see and we hear the stories of God answers, answering people's prayers. And especially in the area of revival. And so tonight, you're going to come and you're going to hear testimonies a historical report of how God has, when he stirs in the heart of people to pray, God shows up in revival. And some of these are a few hundred years old. Right now, I want to show you a little clip from a story from the 1970s from some folks here in our church, including the result of what, what happened to God's people, to a city, and to Western Canada when people got busy praying and seeking God's face, as 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, that God will do a work. And so take and enjoy and remember what God has done in the past. God, would you do it again? We remember what God has done in the past. We pray and say, oh God, re revive, renew, restore. When life when hope seems hard, we go to God in honest prayer. We remember his faithfulness in the past. And third and finally, we trust God's character more than our circumstances. Because there's times we're not going to see the evidence of God working in our lives. We don't understand. We don't see his ways or his plans. It doesn't mean that he's not working. One of the songs that we sing here oftentimes, it, it goes like this, that has a line, even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working, you never stop working. And it's learning to know and to understand, to trust God's character from the word of God. That's where we get to know and understand who God is. By spending time reading, spending time being taught the Word of God, coming under biblical preaching of the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, learning the Word of God together with other believers. Our faith, our strength, our confidence is built through the Word of God. And that's where we come to know and to trust God's character more than in our circumstances because we have an anchor and that is the truth of His Word. And today, maybe you're in a crisis like, it, like Habakkuk, and you're not sure what exactly is going on. You don't even know what the future holds. May we just not stop with the questions, but embrace God in this struggle. Next week, we're going to see how God's response to Habakkuk was, was not what we might expect it to be. It's definitely what Habakkuk did not expect to hear from God. And sometimes... The answers will take us deeper into a crisis. But God is faithful and will see us through that. But if we were to look from Habakkuk's day, 700 years after his time, the wicked were around and surrounding another very righteous person. In fact, he was called the righteous one. And God appeared to be silent when Jesus Christ the spotless, sinless Lamb of God was betrayed, mocked, beaten, and forsaken. And he cried out like Habakkuk, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, where are you? My God, what is happening? Yet it served as the ultimate answer to Habakkuk's and to our deepest cry. 
You see, God's ultimate answer for us is Jesus. Jesus crucified, Jesus raised to life. He paid the debt on the cross for our sin. He was the righteous one who suffered from unrighteous, wicked people. It was our sin that put him on the cross. And he extends his hand of forgiveness, of grace and mercy to all who call on his name. And so today I, pray, I trust, and I've been praying this week, that even as we worship the Lord now, that you would take whatever it is that you are facing. Maybe it's something that happened years ago. Maybe it's right in the windshield. It's something you are facing right now, and it, it, you just can't even avoid it. And it is difficult that you will take that and you will start surrendering that to God in honest prayer, embracing him, remembering his goodness, remembering his character. Let's stand together as we worship, and I trust that you will allow God to start doing that new, that fresh, that deeper work in your life. And so, God, even now we come to you and we have questions and confusions, maybe from the past or maybe it's right before us. We're guaranteed in life there will be those questions that will rock our understanding of life, understanding of you. And would we know that we can find hope, we can find help in and only through you, God. And so, God, would, as we embark on this series, would you meet each person here, each person listening to this message this week? God, that you would do a new work, a deep work, a thorough work, and bring healing. That even though circumstances may not change, our heart, our focus, our, our love for you would grow, and it will be well with you, and we will say you are good. You are good all the time. We pray this by faith. We pray this knowing that one day we will rejoice in all things. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may.